Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Seriously, man, you don't really think we're going to see any Canutes and 41 Rockies jerseys here at Coors Field, do you? I mean, no offense, I know you're a local and all, but that was a long time ago. You never know. I've seen some old guy jerseys around here, haven't you? In fact, I actually heard from a really good source. You mean you saw it on Twitter. Whatever. I heard that Chad Cool's wearing 41 now for the Rockies because he grew up a Milwaukee Brewers fan and he watched me wearing number 41 back in the day. That, you know, that's pretty cool, right? I see what you did there, Mark. Yeah, okay, wait. Look, he's right over there. Let's just go ask him. Well, you know, we probably shouldn't bother him. What do you mean? We're media. That's our job. Follow me. Uh, okay, but, but let me ask him. Hey, Chad, I'm Mark Knutson. This is Manny Randall. We do a podcast called the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. He came up with the name. Congrats on your great start to the season. Are you liking it here? He's got a question for you, Chad. Okay, I heard somewhere that you're wearing number 41 here as a Rocky because, you know, I wore it a while back. A long okay, while back. Okay, whatever. I wore 41 in Milwaukee, as I'm sure you know, since I heard you grew up a Brewers fan and all. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, grew up in Delaware. Um, you know, kind of watched the Phillies kind of growing up, but uh, never really heard of you. So when they gave me 41, I don't think it really had some uh, significance behind it. Sorry. Yeah, what's what show am I on? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Are the Colorado Rockies beaten before they even take the field? Why isn't Coors Field a home field advantage? This week on the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast, we asked former Rockies pitcher Jason Hirsch about the struggles with player development, the burden of Coors Field, the excuses about market size, and why he struggles with going to Rockies games. It's no holes barred when Jason joins the show. So stay with us. Our first pitch comes up next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Many of the, uh, the Rockies let the trade deadline pass with uh, no activity, as kind of as we predicted. They wouldn't do much of anything, and they did even less than that, and nothing at all. Terrible road trip again. On pace, as you noted on Twitter today, to lose 92 games. It could be worse than that because the schedule is really nasty the rest of the way. And they could lose. I mean, this team could, for the first time in franchise history, threaten 100 losses. Probably won't get to that point, but that's where we're at right now. So back to the drawing board in some respects. You know, I don't know when they're going to start playing young guys. I don't know if they're going to start playing young guys. Uh, we don't get a sense of what direction they're going right now. But we do know that uh, it's not it's not one. It's not one direction. It's all over the, all over the board. And um, one of the problems, as we talked about before, is the minor league development system. And our guest today is an expert on that. He's a former Rocky, pitched in the World Series for the Rockies in 2007. Now, uh, player development's his only thing. All he does now. He doesn't do anything else in his whole life. I'm, an, I'm, an, ex- I'm an expert. Jason Hurst joins us. Uh, fast <laughs> I, I'll, I'll confess, full disclosure, I have my high school pitchers work out with Jason every winter. It's a fantastic program. But, Jason, you get, you get an opportunity to – talk to a lot of Rockies minor league players and a lot of guys in the system. Is the frustration as real with them as it is with the fans? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the guys that I've known through the years and, and talked to are friends of friends that have talked to them. They, uh, they get frustrated with it because, you know, in the off season, when they're not with the organization, they train a certain way. They understand 
themselves a certain way, you know, whether they're using, you know, certain methods of training, uh, we'll call it weighted balls or, you know, certain types of lifting or, or pitching development stuff. They're using certain types of technologies that are giving them insight, whether it's TrackMan or Soto or anything like that, giving them insight as to who they are as a pitcher. And so in the off season, they kind of develop this idea of who they are. And then they show up to the Rockies organization and they get told, that's not you. You need to be this guy. Wow. And they know in their heart of hearts that that guy is not who they really are. You know, and I think that's the the idea of being the square peg in the round hole kind of comes through when you talk to some of these guys that they just are being told to be people that they're not for the sake of just trying to fit a certain mold that the Rockies have set out for the type of pitcher or type of player that is going to have success at Coors Field. So in other words, uh, Jason, we're talking about, again, Coors Field. It's the it's always the elephant in the room. It's always the the boogeyman, whatever you want to call it. It seems like Coors Field is always at the forefront. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's hard to win up here. You, you, you pitched up here. You know how this is. But is it going too far when it comes to, to player development in the sense of it's kind of getting in the way because guys have their way of doing things and this is disrupting that because you got to do it our way or else you're not going to pitch well at Coors Field? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a convenient crutch for a lot of um, for a lot of people within the organization to justify. It's an easy out to say, "Oh well, Coors Field. Oh well, Coors Field. Oh, he's not, you know, he 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 hits really well. Oh, it's Coors Field. Oh, he pitches really bad. Oh, it's Coors Field." I, I think that's the boogeyman in the room, and honestly, I think he's the scapegoat for hmm. just poor poor attention to player development, poor attention to modern day metrics and uh, philosophies regarding how players are shaping themselves to become better versions of themselves um, that are going to have success no matter whether they play Coors Field or they're playing at in St. Louis or New York or LA or Boston or wherever they ultimately end up. Uh, but Coors Field, I think, is is always front and center because it's an easy scapegoat to, to explain your failures. And instead, wow. it I think it should be it should be secondary or or even third to, you know, some of the other ideas or philosophies from a player development standpoint that the Rockies could, that they could pursue avenues that they could pursue, or at least things that they haven't tried at this point. I mean, I think at this point, the worst thing that happens is they get better. If yeah. they were to go, if they were to go a different route or to take a different flaw, I don't think they could be any worse, worse on the player development side. I mean, yeah. it just, again, and I, I, I'm not down on the farm. Um, I'm not next to the coaches. I'm not in the meetings. I'm just looking at it from my standpoint and all the people that I know within the organization. I'm looking at it from a fan's perspective. And I go, it just can't get any worse. Like, it literally just can't be you know, worse. That this. brings up a, an interesting point. You know, last week we were talking about the Rockies' failure to move it to the trade deadline and try to acquire some prospects. Trade a CJ Croner or Daniel Bard and try to get guys back who have something of a track record, who have been in the minor leagues for two or three years, and, and you kind of have an idea that they are prospects, as opposed to getting draft picks, which is a total crapshoot, right? Draft picks, you have no idea. But what you're telling me now, maybe they're better getting draft picks because if you bring in somebody from another organization who has been doing things one way and has been successful one way, and now the Rockies try to make you do something different, even if it's a pitcher, hit or whatever, maybe that's counterproductive. Maybe it's just better if they start with the Rockies and don't come in with any preconceived plans on how they're going to develop. I mean, this is a yeah. six of one half dozen. I, mean, I, 
I think obviously the Rockies develop position players have a very good track record of position players. Whether it's very good, I mean, I, whether the Rockies it's in, have a very good track record. I don't think the Rockies. Yeah, have I think the Rockies have done pretty well over the last ten years in in bringing up. Yeah, I think like if you out. expand the time horizon, you look back at Story and Arnado and all these guys. I think you can you can yeah. make a case. I, mean, I think I, I think I, in the, I think, maybe the second half of that decade, though, it's yeah. been kind of. But I I fun. also think that you know if you know what you're really good at, then stick to it. And if you know what you're really bad at, then why not let somebody else do it and trade for that? You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. all right, I've got uh, I've got this pool of prospects or talent. Um, I'm willing to give you X Y Z player for X Y Z pitcher because you've done effectively the dirty work for me. All I've got to do is make yeah. sure they don't throw up on themselves and get them to the big leagues. You know who an and example that, of that? Is, you know who an example of that might be Herman uh, Marcus, right from Tampa. Yeah, I mean they they, they he came he came and basically almost right away made his major yeah. league debut with the Rockies and I, I mean, you could even look to an extent Gomer, um, you know, he was a, yeah. uh, uh, he was a, a Cardinals farmhand who who came up and contributed big league level right away. And he's had varying levels of success, obviously not as successful as Marquez, but, but it was I was really, he had a, be, you had a good run last year. That's last he year. did. He yeah. did. And, and like I said, I, I think if the Rockies said, you know what, we know we suck at player development from a pitching standpoint, then let's go trade for play let's use our our talent pool of position players to go trade for pitching and i think the problem there is that the rockies have constantly overvalued their prospects and the players that they have in the big leagues and they think that they are the greatest thing since sliced bread and they want too much in return you know so you know it's not surprising that the rockies went through the deadline this year without making a move in fact i believe they were throwing a pizza party for the front office if my uh my sources are correct. I, I heard that they were literally throwing a pizza party. Now, how um, much do you how much do you think the old overvaluing your own prospect? Because look, not they had they had guys that were that were of value on yep. on on this market. Crone, Bard, in particular, Bard and Colome Iglesias. Yeah, I don't know how much you get Iglesias. Colome, you know, until yeah. uh, recent vintage. I mean, there's definitely <laughs> but, value for other teams there. That's what I mean to say is like inside Daniel Bardo with two year twenty million dollars. That's what I mean. Like, did they did they did their over did their tendency to overvalue it yet again cause them to ask for too much for these guys and the other other side said okay goodbye. Honestly, I think there's some delusion that they're they're actually going to compete um, in the National League West that that they're actually going to secure that second wild card spot. You know, uh, I was up at at the breakfast of champions in Greeley. Uh, I think it was two years ago and Dick Monfort got up there and spoke and literally said that this was a 90 plus oh, yeah. team interpolation. And, and I'm like, I'm like, I, I, you, you can't be serious. Like, are you really drinking the Kool-Aid or do you really seriously believe that that's the case? And I think part of it is, is that Yes, ownership thinks that they are way better than they really are and that they can compete or somebody is telling them that. And I don't know who it is, hey, Jason, uh, but I can't I can't believe for one second that Bill Schmidt believes that this is a winning ball club. Like I, I just can't I can't see that being in his mindset. And if it is, you know, you can obviously see why he got hired. I mean, that that would be if he actually believes that this is a winning ball club. You know the man a little bit. Do you think he's drinking the Kool-Aid? Do you think he's hamstrung? Do you think he has to pass? he's following his marching orders? Or is Bill Schmidt really 
convinced that the Rocky way, as they call it, is the right thing to do. I don't know. I have, conf- I have conflicting feelings on this because every conversation I've ever had with Bill Schmidt has always been positive. He's been a very nice guy to me. I've heard from other people that he's not so nice guy. My former agent told me that he is an outstanding human being. All the, because he, he uh, my former agent has Nolan Arenado. Right. And so a lot of the conversations that went back and forth during that uh, trade, um, he was talking with Bill Schmidt. And so he really? tells me that he's an absolutely outstanding human being, knows what he's doing. But the other side of me looks at things that have happened and I go, I, I, I have a hard time believing that. I'm always willing to give somebody some time to kind of figure it out. I gave, I was willing to give Jeff Breidich three years and five years later, it, it was three years too long. Bill Schmidt, I'm still willing to give him some leeway, but I think, again, this is looking at it from a fan's perspective. We all know that outside influence is probably something that would be good for the organization. When you hire from within, regardless of the qualifications, the talent, whatever it might be, regardless of that, it looks bad. And when you look at the team and how they're performing, and then obviously the inactions on their part, you can't help but think that Bill Schmidt is just another yes man. And that's unfortunate because Bill Schmidt might be a great GM eventually. But on the surface, it just does not look that like the the optics of it are terrible right you now. You know who you know who echoed your sentiments? Kelly McGregor. That was Kelly McGregor's defining philosophy. We need he wanted to know what outside people thought of what they were doing. He had, he was constantly searching for outside opinions to give him ideas on what they were doing well and what they weren't doing. Why well. you know then why hasn't Kelly. my question is then why hasn't that continued? Because Kelly McGregor's influence continues throughout this organization. Why not in that respect? Because if they did in that respect, that would be a positive, right? Absolutely. Uh, they- I, I think because Kelly's not here to fight for his point, right? And nope. I, I think when Kelly was here, you know, he had he definitely had influence over the organization. But all we have left are his words and his thoughts. We don't have anybody to actually fight for those positions. Mm-hmm. And he may have been he may have been alone in his positioning and his yep. fight. But because of where he stood and the influence that he carried, people listened to that. But without him here, you just don't have you don't have anybody to back that up. But they do have somebody that could be the reason they do have somebody. They have Clint Hurdle, your former manager, who who was very close to Kelly. He he was the guy who basically hosted Kelly's memorial service at Coors. This is Clint's first year back with the organization. Correct? Agreed. Agreed. Yes, his first year back. But at that time, I sat in those stands and I watched Clint take control of that crowd, a, a, a silent, grieving crowd of Rockies fans at Coors Field. And I instantly went home and, and sent Dick and Charlie Monfort a, a message. That's your next team president. That's the guy you should hire to run this team from this point forward. And instead, they took it even more in-house. Clint, had, Clint was obviously not the manager at the time. He was with, the, I think, the Red Sox or the Rangers at that point. But they didn't do that. And I think... What came came about was instead of Kelly's philosophy, which Clint may or may not have shared, but probably would, would have te- tended to go Kelly's direction, they went the Montfort meatpacking direction. They went the sure. in-house, keep it all together in the family direction. It just I have some concerns, though, with Clint. Like I, I think Clint is a fantastic orator. Yes. I've listened to him give talks at the Rocky Mountain Sabre conventions or the dinners that we've had. Manny, I think you've been at that. Yep. Like you would run through a brick wall for that dude. Right. But I want to see action. I don't want to hear words. I don't want to hear fancy speeches. I don't want to, I don't want to hear the rah-rah stuff that's going to get me fired up. 
and give me false hope. I want to actually see results. And I'm just not seeing that right now. If if I felt like this organization was on the up and up, I would say so. You know, and, and people I've talked to in the past have said, oh, yeah, things are different. Things are different. I want to believe it, but I'm also not holding my breath because I know that I know what this organization has been like for the last 10 years, you know, from being part of it to watching it as a as a fan to covering them on television um, and now talking with, you know, guys at, at, at certain levels of within the organization. I'm just not I'm not going to hold my breath that things are going to be different until I actually see it. I want to actually see them taking the bull by the horns and go, you know what? You're right. We've done this wrong for this long. We now are willing to listen to other people. I just haven't seen it yet. I feel like a big part of this goes back to the first or one of the early points you made, which is um, Coors Field is is, is scary, in a, in, for lack of a better word, to them. It's a, it's a problem rather yep. than, okay, this is our park. We're going to make it a problem for guys, mm-hmm. you know, people who come in here, you know, mm-hmm. like. One thing I, I learned from the Bombers book was that's what at least those Don five Baylor's guys. Philosophy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those five guys, they all they all had the same batting practice group at the end because they're like, that's when the other team's pitchers stretch, you know, and they're they're, they're flexing <laughs> on them, you know, they're like, and yeah, so. There's we're intimidation. Do, yeah, and, and and like Ellis Burks would be like, yeah, we when we fly back on the plane, we'd be like, all right, Nightmare on Blake Street coming home, you know, and it's like, that's what it was about. And we're going to, you know what, we're going to lose 40 games on the road because that's how it is. I mean, that's just how every team in history, in the history of this organization, none has finished, I think, better than two games over 500 on the road. And that might have been once or twice. And so you can chalk up 40 losses. Right. So what do you what does that mean? You got to win. You got to win 60 games at home every year. And how do you do that? Figure out how to do that. And, you know, the early not, you know, the early teams like the team that went to the playoffs in 95 for them, it was. Yeah, it was a short season. So that saved their arms a little bit. But for them, it was hold them to the starters can hold them to four runs. Or five runs, we, we'll make it because right. the bullpen. The bullpen was they figured out how to deal with it, and they kept us in the game, and we came back and won a lot. Yeah. Literally the last game of the season that year, they were down eight to two, and they needed that game for the wild card berth. They got it. They won it. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it, the idea was always intimidate the other team about Coors Field and don't be all, you know, like oh no, it gets all in our. You know, it seems like it's in their head yeah. to the point where it's so ingrained that they can't get over it. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea of home field advantage, right? Yeah. It's just simple. You, you're to come in like any team, regardless of where they are in the standings, how good or bad they are. You know you're going to go into Coors Field and it's going to be a literal dogfight. Exactly. And you're either going to get your asses handed to you or you guys are going to be involved in the middle of a slugfest because they're going to be relentless. And I thought I've always thought that that idea of, you know what, screw it. Like we know we, we suck on the road and that's fine. As long Just as we can for- be somewhere around 500 that's it. on the road, we can be a playoff team year in, year out, knowing that people have to come into Coors Field and we are absolutely going to kick their butts up and down Blake Street yeah. and make them regret their seasons. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, that, the, that they don't do but that. Like you said, like they, they, they walk in there like they're walking on eggshells. Right. Like, oh, my God, we're going to get our butts kicked or, oh, my God, if I just do this, it's going to happen. Instead of taking the other side, which, you're, you know, you're talking about Ellis Burks and Galarraga and, and Dante Bichette and, you know, the Blake Seat Bombers, where it's like, dude, come watch this because we're going to put on an absolute laser light show for you. Exactly. Right. And I want you to see what kind of a launching pad this is, because it's going to happen between innings one and nine. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember talking to Smoltz about or John Smoltz about the '95 uh, NLDS because the Braves had to do a weird two-three thing where they were the higher seed, but they had to come in here and play the first two games at Coors, and they were they were they were scared. Like he admitted yeah. it. He's like, we were really scared. We're like new ballpark. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. They're they're crazy. They were like our fans in '91. You know, the Braves when they fr- they finally broke through. Like C- Colorado is just rabid. You know, and when we go in there. We don't know what to expect. And they literally threw two games away here in that yeah. series. They were up late in both. And so it's like, that's that's the type of thing you want to have. That guy's a Hall of Famer. And he was worried about coming to Coors Field. You would not get that nowadays. If you if you if the Rockies squeaked into the playoffs one of these years, teams aren't gonna, you know, do a double take because they gotta go play the Rockies. The Brewers, Field. the Brewers didn't in, they didn't in 2019, yeah. the Brewers didn't care. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so I mean got, that intimidation factor is just not there. It's yeah. because because, you know, the Rockies make excuses or they lay down. Um, you know, they're not intimidating on the road. So why should they be intimidating at home? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's just they don't have that swagger, that attitude about them that that they used to. I mean, even our our 07 team, you know, when, when we started to to win some ball games, like people would talk and say, hey, don't don't go to sleep on this, these guys because they're they're making comebacks late in games or they're pitching their butts off right now and, and, or they're hitting, they're hitting the crap out of the ball. Um, you know, you can't go to sleep on them. And so you had to be on your toes. And I think that's what, what we're missing is that, that kind of, you know, that, that fight, that attitude of it's a defeatist you're coming attitude. into my house. It's a defeatist. I mean, it's, it's a defeatist. It's mentality. no different than when, when, an, when an opposing team goes over to mile high, plays the Broncos, right? No, no matter how good or bad the Broncos are, everybody knows that the Broncos are going to try and punch you in the face when you're, when you're down at mile high. Right. Or, you know, last year when the Avalanche, you were in their playoff run, you know, you come to Denver, you're probably going to lose that game. You just know that that team is going to absolutely outskate you night in, night out. It's just going to happen. You know, yeah. the Nuggets were, were like that for a little bit, too. It's just the Rockies. It's like we were like, yeah, you know what? It's it's the Rockies. Like we're still going to go watch them and drink twelve dollar beers and enjoy the game. I mean, you talk to I mean? managers coming through here. I talk to managers coming through here when I'm covering other teams and it's like, you know, Dave Roberts, um, you know, other, other managers around the league, they come in and they're like, and when you ask them about getting through course field for three days, they're like, all we, all we're worried about is let's not get anybody hurt and let's get, yeah. let's just get through it. Let's get out yeah. of here. We're good. You know, Clayton Kershaw is a bad outing, whatever. Okay. We'll, we'll, we've got the offense to win that game. But the bottom line is, is that they're not coming in here. Like you say, they're not coming in here worried about, what's going to happen here for those three or four days. They're not having nightmares about it. And if you could like, you know, look, accept what's reality, which is you can't, you're not going to be better than 500 on the road. Fine. Chalk it up, but let's talk about how we're going to win. Honestly, course field is kind of a, at home. Yeah. Like, Coors learn, field is, like earn that. Yeah. Scores field is kind of, if you really, you know, if you squint real hard, kind of a good thing. You know, it's, yeah. you can you can look at it Absolutely. that way and say, could you, you take can... a mediocre Rockies team and compete against a National League leading salary Los Angeles Dodgers team? hundred percent. Drive them crazy. hundred percent. You yeah. come to Coors Field, you're going to get punched in the teeth. We go to Dodger Stadium. There's a probably a 70 30 chance on and we being a 30 percent chance right. that we're going to win those. Right. But we'll take those odds. Yeah. We're happy to take those odds. Hey yeah. guys, there's one thing that we're, we're we're glossing over here a little bit though. That Manny mentioned defeatist attitude. Before the wild card ex- expanded, to be fair to Dick, before the wild card expanded, he said, "Our goal is to make the playoff or be in contention." I believe he said two out of every five years. 
And that wasn't based on Coors Field. That was based on economics. They're still crying poor. They're still saying we can't compete. We can't compete for free agents. We can't do any of these things because we're not a big market team. We're not a big media. Uh, we're on the big media contracts. I think that's just as much of a defeatist attitude yeah. as complaining about well, Coors Field. Well, I mean, also they, though, teams with smaller teams with smaller budgets than the Rockies have competed. Tampa, Oakland, they've competed. So why is Kansas that also? City. That's also a crutch. Houston. And that's the thing, wrong. The, the thing is, is that every time that argument comes up. I look at the signing of Ian Desmond. I look at the signing of Chris yep. Bryant, where they where they really started opening wallet the wallet mm-hmm. a little bit, and how mm-hmm. bad the signings were. I mean, Chris Bryant will hold that in abeyance, but he's played in like forty games this year, you know. So it's like we just don't. And honestly, like you give a guy one hundred eighty-two million dollars for seven years, he's thirty years old. Like I mean, we're seeing we saw it with Charlie, as beloved as he is, when they gave him one hundred million dollars. Now he's thirty-five. He's going to opt into an eighteen million dollar contract. He's not worth. He's, his production is not worth that next year. But the thing is, is that the age curve does not favor this Bryant thing either. So when they're spending money, they're spending it, I would say, poorly. Poorly. And so yep. when you, you can't really kind of like say, well, we can't do this. When, when you're the one who, that put yourself into that position now where you can't because you spent poorly before. You know, I just don't, yeah, I mean, I don't buy it. Look at the, the right. Braves locked up their young superstars, right? And they did so on a budget. They did it brilliantly, right? They locked up Matt Olson. They locked up Acuna. They locked up Austin right. Riley, which is last week, right? And they, but they saved, they saved a lot of money by doing that. And in those guys, you can actually look at and go, yeah, there's some value there. Signing Chris Bryant purely sold tickets. That yes. was, that was the, Absolutely. they knew the, the 180, whatever million dollar uh, contract that they gave him. They were going to make that back threefold on ticket sales and jersey yep. sales, yep. knowing that he was just going to be here, right? He was that. After, was- after COVID, they needed a, a reason for people to come back to the ballpark. You traded away a generational talent. You needed something to put people back in the yep. stands. And so you overpaid for Chris Bryant, who had a history of being injured. And that history has continued early into this season. And I, I highly anticipate that continuing for the next six years that he will not make a full 162 game uh, or even I, I'll guarantee he won't even play 140 games in any season for the next six years. Um, so that fasciitis is no joke, man. I mean, yeah. like when they said he had, yeah, I, I've had it, I've had it too, but it, yeah. it's not a crippling debilitating disease. Yeah. Yes. I mean, but well, it is what it, it is. It, it's, it's one of those things though, that I feel like it could be nothing or it could be everything. It could be chronic. Sure. Like it could be one of those yeah. things that keeps going. And when he had, when he said he had that, so, you know, again, it, I mean, he'll right. serve out. He'll serve out the remainder of that contract. You know, he They're he looked at the, the idea first three years that, if he can play. You no, know, again, you know? yeah, hundred percent. If he can play, but still, yeah. and that, but again, that that goes to that idea of we're we're just trying to sell tickets. We we needed somebody to print jerseys for yep. to get fans excited about going back to the ballpark, and they're like, oh, Chris Bryant, like this kid's an all star. We've been you after him for series. ten years, yeah. and and as baseball people, like. You know, you and, and, and Mark and I, you look at that and go, right? You could have easily spent that money in player development and maybe actually develop the next Troy Tulowitzki or the next Nolan Arenado. Well, Nolan Nolan Arenado will be back this week. And obviously, you know, that's going to be the, uh, it's going to be in the air, you know, whether spoken or unspoken that, you know, the guy, you know, Chris Bryant will not be in the lineup. Right. And Nolan Arenado will be at third base again. 
uh, for the other and team. He's, a, he's an MVP candidate. And he's an MVP candidate. And it's going to be weird. I've got the Cardinals, but it's going to be weird actually because I've never seen him in the other on the other club in the other clubhouse before. And it's going to be like, okay, people are going to ask, you know, going to talk about the Colorado years because it's you know happened to Bryant when he came when the Cub when the Cubs came in here. It's going to happen again, whether it's asked or not. Everyone's what's on the forefront of everybody's mind around here probably is going to be they signed Chris Bryant after letting this guy go. Like what? And they would have traded him when Nolan first talked about getting traded. They would have traded him straight up for Chris Bryant. The Cubs were the ones that didn't want to do that deal. Dick wanted to do that deal. The man crush on Chris Bryant, as you guys pointed out, has been about a decade in the making, and he would have Dick would have traded him straight up. So um, it's all it all just comes back look? to it all just comes back to this um, this this apathy this this feel of like it's just never going to happen in this town for the baseball team here. I mean, it's just uh, it yeah. just that's just the way things are. And the Rockies will just kind of be there every year. I think it's it's the the you know the logic of what you think should happen is the complete opposite of what will happen. Yeah, like everybody knows what's wrong with this team. Everybody knows who they should be going to get or who they should be trading, except for the people who actually run the organization. And that's that that I think is the hard part to swallow. Right? Is we all know the problem, but the people that actually are in charge of making those decisions clearly don't see it well there it's a business it's business first it, it's no, like you said, selling tickets it's business first it's baseball second and it's the opposite of the way pat Boland built the broncos where it was winning on the field first and the business took care of itself and he made plenty of money so that's what's frustrating and what's gonna what's it gonna take us both of you guys what's it gonna take to change this because this team could conceivably as we mentioned before be, be the first team in rockies history to lose 100 games they're not on the 100-loss pace at the moment, but this schedule, I mean, they finish up with six games in L.A. What if the Dodgers need to win all those? I yeah, mean, I mean, I think this they, team... They, they could lose 100 games. If they did that for the first time, would that create any sort of movement for change among the fan base? Because the fan base really, the buy, ticket-buying public is the only nope. ones who are going to make this change. I doubt it. I mean, I think I, this team, it may po- be possible that it's actually impossible for this team to win or lose 100 games because of cores and because of just the way things are. Mm-hmm. I think they'll lose 95 games or something this year, but I mean, I don't think that changes anything. Uh, I'm curious to know what you think about that, Jason, but also if you were the head man here, what's on your, what's on your docket? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think that there's actually worse teams in the Rockies in in major league baseball right now, right? The nationals are like ridiculously worse. Yeah. But they Um, also went out and made a big trade to get prospects. Right. And that's not to say that next year or in two years or in three years that they're not contending in some way, shape or form. And the Rockies are still going to be third or fourth in division. And going back to Manny's question, like what, you know, what direction I, do I think the Rockies need to go? You know, the one area in Major League Baseball where you are not restricted in the amount of money that you can spend is in player development. I, I think they honestly need to take a, an inward look and go, you know what, all these other teams are doing things a certain way. You know, when certain players that have had some success here or maybe some failures, they go off to other organizations and they glow about how awesome it is, right? Uh, When Otto went over to New York and DJ went to New York, they both were glowing about all the information that they were presented with and and how it was going to make them better players. And, And obviously they had phenomenal you know starts to their careers in those organizations it seems like every player that the rockies give up on uh will take yancy almonte going yeah, to, to la mention, for example almonte. right yep you know you, the players tyler that you anderson give up on tonight yep. tyler anderson right but but guys that they effectively give up on and go well, they're not viable anymore and they go off to another organization within the division 
that has watched them for the last three or four years as a Rocky and go, man, I wish I could have that player because I know how to fix them. That's where the Rockies need to step up and go, you know what? We know that we're not going to be able to retain our superstars and that's okay. As long as we have something behind them to replace them. Tampa. Right. It's, it, it's okay for us to let Nolan Arenado go. He outgrew the city of Colorado or the city of Denver. That's fine. But I've got this kid coming up behind him. Who's going to be the next Nolan Arenado. You replenish. I'm okay. Right. So you, 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 but you have to have that in place in order for that to happen. You can't just say, I'm going to give up Nolan or I'm going to give up Tulo exactly. or I'm going to give up Trevor. And I got nothing behind it. Like when I'm you're sorry, a team like they are now where your, your farm system is in the bottom 10 and you are a 95, 90 to 95 loss team every year, you, right. you've got nothing working for you. Right. No. You, 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 you got to have one or the other. Right. I mean, there are teams yeah. who go for it all like the Padres are doing. Right. They go for it all and they 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 deplete their their system. Right. But they're, right. they're you like, mortgage you know the future to win now. We're going to win. And that's going to be get more winning and be get more future prospects in this in, in this whole kind of. And, and it's a better business model. <laughs> you create more interest in your team and you make more money. It's the frustrating part is get... that there is a there is a blueprint out there to do it differently than they're doing yeah. it and still keep them financially viable, which is obviously their number one concern. And I get that. And I understand that it's a small family business. I get it, but they could do it differently and still achieve that same financial goal. A hundred percent. Like I, I think that again, but you have to be willing to look at your player development model and go, you know what? We haven't done this right. I mean, the analytics department of the Rockies was completely dismantled last year, right? Yeah. That the people literally, good. they literally quit. Yep. because they felt like they were being underutilized or people weren't listening to them, whatever it might be. Then they went out this offseason and they hired a bunch of, of brilliant young minds. And allegedly the guy they brought in to run the whole show from, from Washington, Washington was a complete a-hole. And, uh, and he was talking down to everybody like he was the hottest thing since sliced bread. And they let him go, and probably rightfully so. But then you also had some other brilliant minds in there. You had Ethan Moore, who who used to work at our facility and and who has really done a lot of great stuff in the development world. Who you let him walk, and you and you've let some other people walk, and it's just like, it just feels like you're not really trying. And I think that's where it becomes really frustrating for guys like me who are in the player development world. Going, you know, there are lots of people, myself included. If you were to come to me and say, Jason, what are we doing wrong? Like, or, or tell us about this, that, or the other, like, give us some insight. Like, I'll take you out to lunch. I'll buy you a beer. Like, let's just talk about these things and, and what you believe could help this organization. And it just doesn't feel like they have any interest in it because they know that you're going to get 30 or 40,000 a night at course field during the summer when school's not in session, because it's an unbelievable experience to go there. It's affordable for a family and it's fun. Like my kids love going to Coors Field. I hate going to Coors Field because I hate supporting the product. Well, they do a great, but that's the one the thing they point. do really well. They may not do the baseball well, but they do the yep. whole no ballpark right. experience Because it's, well. you know, you, let's just say, Manny, you're in town. Like you, you have, uh, you know, a buddy of yours from MLB is in town. You're like, hey, let's go to the Rockies game. Like, yeah, it's great. We don't ever have to watch the the product on the field, but we can have some beers. We can walk around. We can have a great time. We can go to Loda when we're done. Like it's a, it's a great experience. My right. kids go because they love seeing some of the players there. And obviously, you know, I want to support their passion, but I don't willingly do it. 
Like I, I don't go to games because I want to go to games, even though I would love to. I go to games because my kids want to go to games and I want to support their love and passion of the game and see their favorite, like my kid's favorite player is Cody Bellinger. And he knows I rib him daily about how awful Cody Bellinger is. Yeah, but you know what? Homers tonight, so your kids got to yes, be happy. I, I know. He's, believe me, when I'm done with this and I walk out those doors of this office, I will hear from my kid, <laughs> Cody Bellinger in two home runs. He's going to be an MVP. I'm like, yeah, Cody mm. Bellinger's still hitting 206. That's right. Like, he's got a way to go. Long way to go. The top 10 worst batting guy. But he loves it. And so if he gets an opportunity to go watch Cody Bellinger, he wants to go do it. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you no because I don't believe in the product of Coors Field. I'm going to tell you yes because I want you to enjoy the game of baseball. I want right. you to have those memories and have those experiences. And Coors Field is a great place to do that. It's just unfortunate that the people who are running the field at Coors Field don't actually believe the same thing that my kid believes that every player is a great player. And that a guy like Cody Bellinger, to him, is a Hall of Famer. Even though all of us listening to this know right now, he should be a free agent next year. <laughs> hey, Jason, we got to let you go. I was hoping that we might solve some things on this podcast. We'll <laughs> solve I wasn't in this. Was, I'm not in this to solve anything. I'm in all this we did was yeah, pick his you know, brain just, because... You know, it's, it's not a, a solvable problem. Like, it's not a solvable yeah. problem. You're right. You're absolutely right. There's well, nothing in theory, we in theory, it is. In theory, yeah. But, well, yeah. in theory, it's solvable. But again, that takes some willingness for the organization to go. You know what? We don't know everything, and there yeah. might be somebody local who does, or there might be other people in this in this world yep. that know how to fix this problem. And I right. again. You and I and, and you know Manny and, and Mark, you guys all know guys or gals that know what needs to be done here. And you know for a fact that their phone remains silent from anybody related to this organization. And that's the problem. Oh, on that wonderful note, <laughs> we'll let you get back to work. Jason, thanks, you. man. Always good stuff. Really yeah, appreciate awesome. your insight. Love you guys. Appreciate it. All right, man. There he goes, care, Jason buddy. Hirsch. Fast pitching development. If you've got a young pitcher, that's where you want to send him. Fast trust me. baseball. That's what I do. Fast, Fast baseball. baseball. Well, right fast baseball, fast performance, <laughs> fastcolorado.com is our website. Go. That's we have a performance side, we got baseball side, we got it all. Okay, you got it all. All right, man. Manny, you got a uh, closer for me? Yep. All right, we'll take that next. Stay with us. It's the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. We're back after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars, past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Last week, as the trade deadline passed and the Rockies emerged as the only club to not make a single trade, General Manager Bill Schmidt said the following, We are who we are, and we're a draft and develop organization. A couple of areas where those statements are problematic. One, the quote-unquote draft and develop Rockies just spent $182 million on Chris Bryant. Number two, the Rockies' farm system is ranked in the bottom 10 of baseball, and it's been there for years. If you're going to commit to drafting well and good player development, that's a great goal. Our guest on today's podcast, former Rockies right-hander Jason Hirsch, is in the player development business and gave us a lot of great insight into what the Rockies need to do to improve when it comes to cultivating tomorrow's in contributors 
at the major league level. But while the Rockies had what many consider a great draft this year, what happens now? What happens when it comes to taking those picks and producing big leaguers who will consistently produce if and when they reach the show? The Rockies are on pace to lose more than 90 games this season. That's basically been their pace since their last winning campaign, which was in 2018. So 2022 will make four consecutive losing seasons with a farm system that is in the lower tier among major league organizations. That's a recipe for, well, more of the same. But when does this cycle of mediocrity end? Does it ever end? It's clear that the Rockies will need to change the way they do things when it comes to player development and free agent priorities. Chris Bryant, even when healthy, isn't going to take this team any higher than fourth place in the National League West. So that's $182 million spent on a single player, as talented as he may be, which will likely turn out to be a mistake. Like the $70 million paid to Ian Desmond, like pretty much every significant free agent signing this club has made over the past few years. So now it's the Rockies' move. Improve player development and start viewing Coors Field as an advantage, rather than allowing it to become a pejorative refrain for the masses to describe the franchise's futility, or keep going nowhere. Manny wraps it up again in successful fashion, which means we've reached the end of another park-adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to former Rocky Jason Hurst for sharing his thoughts, and to you for joining us. We'll be back for more analysis next time. Hope you'll join us then. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.